Rooftop grenade fights are things Americans survive. In honor of Taken 3, what is the best movie about an American overseas? I'm Katie Rich, and actually, you know what? The original Taken was pretty good. Oh, man, that was quick. Uh, I'm David the Seven, and his character was an American, but Peter Sellers is, so I choose Pink Panther on a technicality. I am Matt Patches, and I was going to say before sunset, but then I realized Gregory Peck is American in Roman Holiday, so I was going with Roman Holiday. I'm David Ehrlich, and naturally I will go with Laura Linney in Love Actually. No, I'm just kidding. I will go with uh, Bill Murray in Lost in Translation because that's just what I do. Can you pick Lost in Translation for every yep. lightning round question that in is, 2015 that is your somehow? For the new year. Yes. It's more up to Justify you guys it. writing the questions, but sure. <laughs> no, you have to make it work. Best animal performance is by the cat in scene for 33 minutes in. Lucky cat. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 53 for Tuesday, January 6, 2015. Happy New Year, everybody, and uh, welcome back. It's the year of our Time Lord, Dr. Emmett Brown, according to Dave Gonzalez, and uh, to my eight-year-old self, who was very excited to get to 2015, as we'll discuss later on in this episode. But first, I hear we have a new review to talk about. We do indeed. Uh, This review comes from Erosionberg, who leaves us a very... Gracious uh, review, five stars. It's time for the passionate review I promised. First things first, this is my favorite podcast. I've been listening since episode one of Fitwer and find that I look forward to no other each week more than this one. The conversation is lively, intelligent, and utterly compelling. But what makes this film podcast stand out among the obscene glut of them is the familial atmosphere in every single episode. You guys love each other as much as you love movies. In parentheses, hopefully more. What more could one ask for? Now no. it's story Slash time. fiction. <laughs> now it's story time. I tweeted at David and the show proper a few months ago asking if I should be wary of film school, having now applied and been accepted to my number one choice in New York City. With a scholarship, I can say that my fears have been greatly diminished. It means a lot that you responded to me when I reached out. Thanks for being the greatest podcast out there, and thanks for being such cool people as oh, well. Oh, that is a very sweet that What a review. great way to start 2015. Yeah, it can only go downhill yeah. from here. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> a hearty congratulations yeah, from all awesome. of us. We hope you enjoy film school and do well. And uh, we are here We look for forward to reviewing and, and destroying your films. If you're out, yeah, we look forward to savaging <laughs> your work on the show. <laughs> Uh, yes, but thank you. If you are listening to this, please leave us a podcast. Uh, a podcast. Please leave us a review, good, bad, or anywhere in between. We will read it on the air. It helps us find new listeners. You can do it on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. like a very long holiday season i for one had a little bit of time to watch movies and i kind of figure you guys might have too. actually not even movies whatever it is that we managed to catch up on when we're not you know mingling with our families or doing whatever else it takes during the holidays uh the thing that i watched that was probably the happiest i finally caught up on i finally saw edge of tomorrow and it's ooh, great ooh. <laughs> i'm really glad i finally watched it 
It doesn't even have Channing Tatum in it. It does. I know. That's usually the only movie I'm willing to watch and under any circumstances. Uh, yeah, Edge of Tomorrow was really great. You guys were all right. I got. I was watching it on a plane, so I couldn't tweet about this, but I felt like I remembered people saying they didn't like the ending, like the, the last shot or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the end is, uh, I remember the end being some pretty significant bullshit. All right. Wait, no, but I ha- I... I have recently rewatched Edge of Tomorrow as well, and I have serious feelings about this. Katie, you first. Does it make sense? Um, oh. Does it fulfill? This yeah, segment I... is this tidbit's going to turn into our, our <laughs> third segment because yeah. I I saw The Hobbit with my family, so we're just going to go on all these movies, aren't we? Let's do <laughs> well, it. To talk very briefly about Edge of Tomorrow, I I don't know. I like the ending. I thought that the whole. The giant big battle scene was a little incoherent. It was hard to follow, but I was watching on a laptop screen on a plane, so that might be partly my fault. Um, but I didn't mind the ending. I thought it was kind of fine to just go with an optimistic ending for something like this. I think it makes logical sense based on alien technology. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't even think through it that far. <laughs> it does. It has to do with their planning. It has to do with their timeline. People aren't thinking enough about the beginning of the movie by the end, I think. Interesting. I need to read some articles I contend with, with all the plot holes in Edge of Tomorrow. I don't know. Did enough pe- people see oh, the movie God. for there to be those articles? I don't even know. I'm I sure there has so. to be. It's critically praised. Oh, people who in the know, people who follow these sort of things have seen Edge of Tomorrow. It will become a favorite. It will It will appear on best of the decade I just, lists. No, I don't know about that. I think I, 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 Oh, I, 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 I bet it will. I, I bet it The hundred well, best movies on, of the decade? Like, Come on. You know, on, on someone's best of the decade sites. list. But I think that Edge of Tomorrow is very... Very good movie that, uh, you know, Doug Lyman, uh, he just doesn't have greatness in him. I think if you got somebody who was a little bit more of a visionary behind that script, or, or apparently non-script as they went to production with, but behind that production, um, you really could have had something truly memorable. Uh, yeah, where's the Steven Soderbergh What you end up is just a very good summer blockbuster in contrast with the crap we usually get. Uh, and the crap we got above. this summer, especially. Yeah, the yeah, summer yeah, was sure. rough. I mean, Tom Cruise, man. Never, you never put Tom Cruise in a corner. Come on. Come yeah, on. Now. There's a, I mean, give, giving Tom Cruise the, sight, the chance to do sight gags and all these you know, physical death scenes that he gets to do over and over again, he's so good at it. I mean, we all knew he was good at it, but no movie has given him the chance to die as much and as hilariously as Edge of Tomorrow has. <laughs> Edge, of tomorrow, alone... Edge of Tomorrow overcame something because right before I saw it, someone reminded me that Tom Cruise has like one tooth in the middle of his mouth as opposed to two teeth <laughs> kind of on either side of the center. And I couldn't, in the beginning scene when he's talking to, who is he talking to, Brendan Gleeson or whoever? Yeah, the, Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, I just kept staring at his single tooth in the middle of his mouth. I'm like, oh my God, I'm just going to, this is what is going to suck me in this whole time. And luckily, no, the movie is better than that. Oh, it no. overcame single tooth Tom Cruise. Yes. <laughs> few movies a big can. deal. Um, Patches, what did you catch up with on your holiday break? Uh, well, I watched a few things. I was able to snag some, some screeners from you, in fact, uh-huh. to, to share with my parents. Uh, and I helped them fall asleep one night by, by screening Unbroken. Uh. <laughs> wow, um, you, that's a hard movie to sleep through, though. There's, it's so, it's so a hard movie to they not, stay did they awake not, through. Did yeah, they like, not make my, it to the torture? My mom walked out during the Olympics third of the movie and was like, this is boring. Okay, see, it, but if they had gotten as far as the torture, then it would be hard to sleep. That's too disturbing. But yeah, no, I can I see. No, I mean, the, even the torture, no, the torture is... there's no character yeah. involved in it and there's no story. It's really just... It's it's like an Olympics. Actually. I, I could not agree like more with that. The, the torture is so not upsetting because I'm like these are just fake movie people. I am not into this at all. Uh, just move it along, Jolie. Let's go. Have we not talked about Unbroken at all on the show? Is this is this our? No, I don't know review? if we'll end up reviewing it or not. <laughs> We're kind of 
we're kind of blown past it now, and so yeah. has the rest the of the world. Well, a lot, it was huge. It how much of a hit it is, exactly. Yeah, it's pretty. Well, yeah. I, I know why too, because I went home for the holidays, talked to a lot of my parents, friends, and everyone has read this book. If you want to know why Unbroken is a huge success at the box office, because a lot of people have read Unbroken. A lot of people love that book. It's very inspiring. From the woman who wrote Sea Biscuit, and people <laughs> adore it. And uh, <laughs> and that and the woman who wrote Sea Biscuit should tell you probably everything about it. It's it's very well uh, reported, and it's very accurate. It's very uh, he had a crazy life. I mean, on on surface, this story is incredible, but it's really a boring, boring movie. And I, I yeah, That's my, the thing. my parents had to that, walk like, out. A crazy life is not the stuff of a great it's not movie. What makes right? it great. A crazy it's amazing. story is the stuff of a great movie. Well, know? I think he's not an interesting character. He just lived a, a lot of crazy things in his life and that as that's what determines it right there's no character in unbroken and i find the same thing to be the problem katie you and i watched american sniper i'll include that mm-hmm. in my holiday watching which was another speaking kind of, of like, mag- slog. massive hits it's yeah big, another big one hit. that's going to be well it's going to be this year's kind of like lone survivor i've already been called i am i'm the bane of ign commenters existence right now they hate me at ign for reviewing movies uh because i take them seriously and they they're calling right. me un-american for hating on a broken an american sniper so that's that's a tough one but I, I it's kind of a treat because they're not good movies but i did see a good movie uh over this holiday span and that's working girl oh um, man Decided to go, yeah, catch up with a Mike Nichols movie. I had never seen Working Girl before, and um, it's a delight. You know, it's 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 a romance. It's an independent woman being strong and powering through all this all this crazy Wall Street or business nonsense, and uh, it's wonderful. It has an amazing shot in it. There's a shot where Melanie Griffith is riding the Staten Island ferry back home, and you see the the Statue of Liberty in the background, and her there, and it goes on for a minute. Carly Simon is singing. It's amazing. It's an all-timer shot. And that, that picked me up from Unbroken that's, and the torture. Watching a good old movie as a relief from Oscar bait that's not good is a really uh, that's a solid method. Yeah, I uh, on the floor of my girlfriend's parents' house in Berkeley, California, uh, next under the Christmas tree and in front of a roaring fire, I watched Robert Altman's McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Uh, and I can't think of a, a better the setting. perfect juxtaposition. No, the fire it was perfect for it. And right. uh, I man, that is a that is a wonderful way to watch a movie. Let me tell you, <laughs> I, was, uh, <laughs> I was really transported. And that's that's truly one of the, the greatest movies ever made, especially if you can watch it with subtitles, uh, because there are there's the the dialogue is really all done in sort of ambient sound, and I uh, I, I like to be able to hear what is being said. But man, from the opening strums of the leonard cohen song that begins the movie to the end that is just as good as it gets anyway um what what oscar movie needs to be rewatched? i would say Birdman. oh no nope that's no? our next segment that's our next oh, segment I thought that was the segment <laughs> this is all about what you watched over your break oh perfect then i was doing a better job i thought i was going on a tangent i'm doing a better job than i thought uh, yeah wait did you see treasure of the sierra madre when you no, were in i saw uh, i went to oh. the castro in san francisco oh, Af- and we saw the african queen right um, oh. and the castro is this gorgeous movie palace right obviously in the castro district uh, of san francisco which is a historically significant place um the theater is beautiful uh, unfortunately we saw one of the only um dcp screenings that they were doing in december it was like everything else was screening on 35 millimeter and the organist didn't play but it was still all the charm was there the audience not a single cell phone not a single word spoken it was uh, quite reverent and i appreciated that uh, it was a similar vibe as to uh, when on uh, new year's day night i went and revisited inherent vice at bam uh on 35 millimeter um and you know 
absolutely packed house there and had uh, a similarly reverent audience, which was also a lot of fun. That sounds wonderful. Dave, Aww. how about you? I have been the there and back again in high frame rate 3D for all oh, three movies. Really? I didn't even know they were doing it in high Wait, frame rate. Wait, for all rate. three movies? Yes, it is very hard to track down for the Battle of the Five Armies, but I did it for all three movies. I, I think it looks better, but you know me and my particular feelings Wait, about it. I enjoyed watching... You watched, watching, it, you uh, watched it like at home? What? <laughs> no. He no, watched it in high went, frame rate. I went to a theater. theater that did high frame rate 3D. For, for all of them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Why? it's the thing. Well, <laughs> but you didn't watch all of them in a row just now. But you have seen all of the movies in high frame rate. Oh yes, this oh, okay. every every time there's like a Hobbit or Lord of the Rings movie out in the winter, it's my family's thing that we do together, like over Christmas. If there's one in the theaters, or even if there, you know, was just one recently released on DVD. So you know, when the first one came out two years ago, and it was like kind of boring, I was like, oh no, I'm strapped into doing this. <laughs> For two more years, regardless. So, so you yeah. Do the all like the Alamo Draft House had a thing for like the most hardcore of masochists, where they screened all six Lord of the Rings movies in a row with food coming out at Hobbit times, and the food sounded like genuinely disgusting. It was like all <laughs> Hobbity food, and it was your only choice of uh, wait. So like pies and potatoes. No, and you that sounds fine. I don't know. Roots, several yeah, different it roots. Really <laughs> it was stuff that I don't really like, but it was very like, small, expensive portions. <laughs> And Were you allowed to smoke weed as well? The but they showed weed? they they didn't show them in uh, Middle Earth order, I believe. They showed them in chronological order of, of release. So, so the Lord of the Rings finale, first. you know, came first, and then the shitty refried crap of the Hobbit <laughs> trilogy. And I was like, what a letdown, man! I, I would have been clawing at the walls by the end of that. Yeah, I did. It was. I was really surprised how bored I was during a so Battle of the Five bad. Armies, and yeah, so how much. Boring money they spent on like little cgi gags with like trolls and rabbits like dying or do, doing what? weird animal things it's just like ha happening on the little side of the screen there's like one scene where gandalf just gets rescued and there's been like this whole cool battle with that you know doesn't really exist in the books but it doesn't matter because it's cool and it's the only battle that's only one scene so i could like put up with it and like the rabbits are Radagast rabbits are like pulling Gandalf and back, yes. and then like one rabbit Radagast. like stops, scratches his ear, flips over on his back, and starts kicking like snow in the air and like playing like immediately. It's like you get three seconds of this rabbit doing this as they're like panning injured Gandalf over to Radagast's cabin, and I'm like, why couldn't you just? This is how much bloat that you have to. We're throwing money at some guy to be like, could that rabbit be doing something interesting? And Peter Jackson <laughs> from his couch is like, I think he could. Or, you know, it's it's things just like so that. Upset. The troll That's that great. knocks himself out when you know he's breaking open a wall. It's just little things that didn't need to be there. That just cut all the levity out of a movie that already is like Harry Potter last one part two, where it's like payoffs to stuff that I had forgotten about because I don't care about like the dwarf elf romance with but it's just lost the look elf. of it it's so upsetting oh, yeah. to watch this commitment to this weightless digital crap when the lord of the rings movies are enduring already you can see them uh you know holding up so well because of their commitment to practical effects and like the jurassic park world. effect in some way yeah anyway yeah sad. Yeah, the, yeah the hobbit not good, but I did it all, and I did it all like apparently I was supposed to. So there, there you go. I want, I, mean, I want some credit. <laughs> I have weird guilt over not seeing the Last Hobbit. Like I just didn't make it to no, me Fire too. Armies, and I felt like I should have, and I didn't. And now, like 
I, I don't know if I'm ever going to see it. I just... Oh. Katie, All I want to know is if they added anything to the end that like brings Aragorn in or something. More no. eagles. Katie, yeah, they talk is, about uh, Aragorn being at the end, actually. They send Orlando Bloom, and uh, Lee Pace is like, look for this man named Strider. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's it? Okay, whatever. That's like the last what? scene of the movie. Oh, there's so much Orlando Bloom, though. I did not know Legolas was the hero of the Battle of the Five Armies. <laughs> Neither did Tolkien. <laughs> segment that he went to BAM to rewatch Inherent Vice, which is now number one on my 2015 to-do list because I feel like Inherent Vice really demands a rewatch in the same way that The Master did for me. And I, we may have talked about this already on the show. Anyway, I'm dying to rewatch Inherent Vice. I think a lot of other people are too. And I want to know from you guys, what movies out there right now that people are discussing, awardsy, otherwise, you know, out there in the world that you think really demands to be seen again, whether or not you've actually managed to see it twice? Uh, I think uh, that Birdman demands a second watch so people can see what a fucking navel-gazing piece of shit it is. I mean, I... <laughs> I, I uh, no, I, I actually only seen it the once, and I've been interested to see it again, in part because I know that I would be entertained by a second watch. I don't think I would be um, you know, bored. Uh, but I do think that once you're sort of familiar with how the movie works and you've had that experience, the paucity of interesting ideas and, and the the unctuousness which with they're all presented that uh, will come to the fore and you'll realize just how what an, what an ugly movie this is and really uh yeah and, and i i so i'm curious to see it again with that in mind i mean obviously i would do my best to hope that if i did if i did see it again that my agenda would be at odds with my experience i, I want to enjoy it but i really feel confident given my opinion of the film which and seeing everybody on twitter say that they've rewatched birdman and, and it never other than like the you know the those fools who think that it's like a like Jeff Wells's of the world who think that it's an important work of art um, and are hardcore in the tank of Inuritu, everyone. Really it's seems not to be... just Jeff Wells. A lot of critics groups are naming a it lot their of favorite people picture. Like Birdman. They, yeah, they do. I do think, but I think that the people that I see revisiting it all uh, seem to be souring on it upon second view. That's and... what I did. I watched it last yeah. night. I got less out of it the yeah, same time. Yeah, you're one of them. You're one of the people yeah. that I... I Although, I, I think I get a lot less out of Michael Keaton's performance. I, I like a lot going on in this movie. I do think it's kind of vacant thematically, even though it thinks it's very uh, inspired. But the, the the fundamental problem seems to be Michael Keaton. Oh, I like. I really liked him the second time around, actually. And I liked Edward Norton even more. But it's, the, uh, it's the themes of the movie. the screen presence? than Michael Keaton. People talk Michael Keaton for best actor. I mean, and that obviously sounds like a real credible possibility, but I just, maybe I'm, I'm too young. Like I didn't give a shit about his movies he was making when I was a kid, but like, I just, it's like watching somebody's dad on screen. And and when I say somebody's dad, I don't mean like, Oh, he's a father. I just mean like you're, generic somebody's dad like hey my like, dad's great uh, in birdman yeah, no, <laughs> your is great, dad but, is a great in birdman but uh <laughs> yeah no he just, i just what well, i could not be more bored watching him as a screen presence so what you're saying is you're bored. not going to rewatch birdman i i'm sure that when this movie is on cable down the line uh given how sort of fluidly used by design it, it moves that it'll be one of those things that when it comes on you just sort of get sucked into whether you like it or not um so i'm sure i will see it again i'm just uh I do think that the thesis here, to, before I pass the baton, is just that um, people who were really high on it, I wouldn't be surprised if they thought less of it upon rewatching. 
Patches, what are you aiming to rewatch, or what did you rewatch other than? Uh, well, I would urge people, all of our Oscar voting listeners out there. I'm sure there's lots of you. Yes, Academy members. Um, I, I I think people really need to rewatch Grand Budapest, and we went mm. on about it. Oh on damn the top it! That 10. was going to be my answer. Oh, so, I'm going to well, piggyback you, you on it because David yes, went, went long. I, I just think that it's really dense, and I wish that I had uh, sort of taken it all in, knowing that it was going to be probably my favorite Wes Anderson movie, like uh, when it was still in theaters and in the proper format. And now I want to revisit it, uh, but uh, like even when I do or if I do, it's it's hard to see it uh, not not well, projected. It's on HBO now, so it's on constant rotation. If you oh, really? I, well, which okay. means it's probably on HBO Go, which is yeah, too. Uh, okay. Uh, I've heard from many people, having spoken to, you know, year-end stuff, I tell people my favorite movie of the year is Grand Budapest Hotel. People don't like it. Um, they think it's kind of really thin, it doesn't make any sense, it's not really about anything, it's just silly, and that it's it's superfluous. The whole thing is, is, a, is a pointless effort. Uh, and I, obviously I stress people, I, like, I love the score. I didn't hear it. Like, was it even there in the movie? I'm like, oh my god. Uh, I don't know what did this movie sweep people up and it just kind of when when they walked out of the theater they didn't know what they had seen i'd highly recommend i think the density as again. dave was referring to i think it's spot on i think it's just there's so much packed into uh every frame you know from the structure on down i mean the, the wedding cake analogy that people have been making tirelessly since since right. january i think is uh is accurate it is like biting into a you know a very densely packed cake there's a lot going on there and i think that if you don't really make uh, that connection, it, it can a lot of its pleasures can be lost. In yeah. Also, to, I, to, it, well, oh, I think it ahead. jumps back and forth between being really kind of melancholy and really kind of fun in a way that if you aren't uh, following it, it, it you could kind of get stuck in being like, well, if that part was silly, why isn't this part more silly? And uh, I've seen some people in, it misinterpret things that way. Uh, two two really quick points to round this out. One, I'm, I want to echo. Katie's point about Inherent Vice because I watched a scene from the movie that's floating around online of Joaquin Phoenix walking through a mental hospital and um, in the background of this like tracking shot of him walking you see a, a, a mental patient running through no, the window and someone chasing him. <laughs> what? I'm like holy shit this movie is airplane. It really does <laughs> background, foreground, everything is in motion, everything is on, every choice is apparent. It's 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 a miracle. It's amazing. Um, and to kind of jump on what David did, uh, rewatch Imitation Game. That movie oh is not good. I, well, I, I was I, I really enjoyed it at Toronto, but I think I just I don't know. Talk about Dimension Returns. I just I, I I'm losing my patience for this movie, which seems to be very flat, and it's all Benedict Cumberbatch for me, and and the music and the, how he those two things kind of like work in tandem. But uh, the the more I distance myself from that movie the less i mean it's just not interesting it's not compelling it's not a there's no reason to tell this story and yet there seems to be plenty of reasons to tell this story child and i think multiple people did this as children of the 80s and 90s i have been excited about 2015 because that was the gear depicted in back to the future 2 
Uh, I didn't know as a kid that other people were into Back to the Future 2, so I didn't realize that this was a thing that people were into until the internet came along. And now we have the internet and it's just 2015, and I am already sick of thinking about Back to the Future 2 and hoverboards and self-lacing shoes and holographic hats and Cafe 80s and literally anything else associated with it. Because on New Year's Day, I swear there were five articles about everything that is happening in 2015 that was predicted in Back to the Future 2. People were ready for it. It's all part and packaged with the year it was, it was you know set to auto load on january 1st because everyone was on vacation and 2015 is going to be a year of that kind of packaged prepared nostalgia in a in the way of franchises and reboots and remakes uh, i wanted to start talking about franchises but then uh you know we talk about franchises a lot around here and next year seems to be Going really this hard year, on this oh, year. Oh my God, this year. Well, and next hard. year. Well, yeah. all of the all <laughs> of all of the years to come. Forever. Um, I mean, we have really notable things like the uh, the Terminator reboot. Is that what we're calling it? What are we calling it? Remake? Uh, Re- requel? Oh my God. I think that alone. Would... <laughs> yeah, I think it's 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 the first installment in a sequel trilogy. Oh, God. Okay, we'll so we're doing that. that. We're going back to Jurassic <laughs> Park. We're going back to Mad Max. Anything I'm missing? Just We we went back to RoboCop last year, so really it's already begun. We're going back to Paul Blart. We're going back to Pitch Perfect. <laughs> Friday, we're going back to Insidious. Friday, we're going back to uh, Ted. Paranormal Hotel activity, Transylvania. My two cents Fast and Furious. The, uh, Mad Max. Well, I believe in the director of Mad Max. I think that he's the right guy for the job. That oversaturated, CG'd within an inch of its life trailer is a disaster. I know. Okay, hey, hang on. You already, wait, wait, you already okay. spent yeah, 10 minutes really against this. Inter- okay. Yeah, we talked about <laughs> this. But I mean, I in, the, I'm really interested in Fury Road just because like while it was in production, everyone's like, this is not going to be a movie. And then it sat around and they're like, you'd hear that people saw it and it was horrible or people saw it and it was amazing. And so I'm to get that trailer, that yeah, to get that trailer and of, just have it existing. It's one of those things I definitely never thought would happen. Right, so, um, in addition to all these, you know, we we know that these things are familiar names and people make movies that are guaranteed things. And, you know, there's a lot of hand-wringing about how studios are setting up tent poles years in advance so that they can, you know, sell audiences on something they already know they'll like. But it's the nostalgia element of it that kind of wears me out and also intrigues me because it's nostalgia for a lot of different kinds of people, many of whom are not necessarily the target audience for big action movies, which you think of as being, you know, 15-year-old boys. And in some ways, it's nostalgia for us and, you know, the people who would be wondering where our hoverboards are in 2015 but the more this stuff is around and it you know it's in the form of franchises and in the form of buzzfeed lists and every article about hoverboards already the more i feel like it doesn't work anymore and devin farachi who has you know has been on this podcast a couple times has talked about how now that nostalgia is everywhere that the past never goes away that you don't have the chance to be nostalgic for it and i feel like 2015 might be my tipping point of no longer being nostalgic for the past because it's all there right in front is of me. Is that sad? Is that depressing to you that you can't be nostalgic for the past? No, also, I'm nostalgic for the Maze Runner, so I'm really excited for Scorch Trials. Nostalgic for the past is a bit redundant. You can't be nostalgic for the future. Oh, okay, fine. That okay. that nostalgia is going to lose its power because it is being so continually shoved in our direction. And does that matter? Is it the end of movies? And is it something that you guys find vaguely depressing as well? Oh man! I, should I start? Because I have a very strong opinion. This is by far not the end of start, movies. I think we should start with your strong opinion. Um, uh, the it's it's like nostalgia as a form of marketing is like Toll House cookies putting like a cart on its like little prepackaged you know th- buy three individually packaged cookies 
to like make you think that you're eating a real cookie instead of like condensed, you know, processed things. That's uh, that's essentially what marketing nostalgia is, and it's been happening since forever. I'm interested to see if it's like it's so specifically like weird movie properties right now that are from our past. Like there's a there's a Point Break remake coming out this year. Oh yeah, uh, which just like seems like a really weird thing to throw in because like yeah, I'm what? I'm not gonna believe that until that until it's proven. Fair, fair enough. It's supposed to have yeah. T- anyway, but it's like surfing culture isn't big now, so that is just entirely a, like, hey, you guys like this Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze movie? Here it is again. Maybe you'll like it with these other two guys. Uh, so it's a sort of a way to not only ensuring that you're gonna show up, but also uh, just like the last ditch effort of like trying to market to as many people as possible nostalgia seems to be the thing that is pulling people in and so it's going to be things like uh you know now that the video game generation is out there it's all like this really really weird stuff that's getting revived like the stuff they're doing with my little pony now i keep looking at it because they're looking at it like it's going to be a future franchise and it's like de-evolved into like girls that sort of look like the ponies that they represent, but these are real human girls, and then they're in a band. And then I'm is like, that this a, is, is that ridiculous. what Equestria Girls is? That's what Equestria Girls is. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. But then I stop and I think that Michael Bay's making the fourth installment of a you know card, a robot toy movie. And I'm like, oh, this is just this huge nostalgia factory because they don't know what to do with these properties and they don't really want to risk you know, people coming out to see something new. Oh, it's not the end of movies, though. Uh, so well, it's always no, been around. I, I don't really... I, I, as soon as anyone says anything is the end of movies, I sort of stop listening. Okay, um, fine. I use a deliberately hyperbolic term I'm not you guys to, would I, disagree I, no, with. I'm not referring to you setting this question up. I'm just saying if someone, you know, in response said anything was the end of movies, I would just be like, all right. Uh, I don't have much to add to this except for to say what I was saying to you guys earlier, which is that I was thinking about... Yesterday, I was thinking about how uh, I seem to be in the minority as far as film writer types because I'm not nostalgic for any of the movies that I saw as a kid. If I'm nostalgic for anything, it's the movies that I saw as a teenager, movies like, you know, silly movies like Can't Hardly Wait and things like that. Um, and But I don't, I just don't care about the movies that I saw as a kid. Uh, and if I saw them, and if I did, and I saw them again later, and I didn't like them, then I'd stop caring about them. Um, and so I do feel a little bit on the outside looking in, seeing as how uh, people with these, you know, intense campaigns, they, they, these toll house addictions, to use Dave's term, uh, for these movies, it's it's strange to me. And I wonder if uh, that has, uh, I, how to say this without tooting my own horn too much, because I just can't, you know, uh, I, I just can't get in that headspace of being in uh, one of those people. But um, but I wonder if it's empowered me to to look around a little bit into the, the corners of the movie world a little bit more because um, I don't have that safety net. I don't know. I was just thinking but about don't it, but you I, think I you're think still this year going to be very challenging. I mean, like, I have... I don't really care that much about Jurassic Park or its mythology. I never saw the third it's Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park's a great movie. Well, so, like, no, that's... And, and th- no, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I don't care much about the mythology of the franchise or anything else, but I'm, I feel strongly about the way I felt when I saw that movie. I remember vividly what it felt like to see that movie as a kid. And that's the kind of thing that I feel attached to. And that's the kind of thing that this kind of franchising reboot stuff has so little to do with that I find it a little 
confusing. Although well, I think I like it's so much more about uh, creative bankruptcy than it is about nostalgia. I mean, the nostalgia plays a part. The nostalgia, um, the fandom, these are all the reasons why, you know, you can say Star Wars and a lot of people we know but shall not name will just immediately piss themselves and, like, go into a frenzy. <laughs> like, yeah. the tweets that I was sort of, like, you know, rolling my eyes to myself uh, at the hypothetical thought of people tweeting, like, X number of days to Star Wars that as soon as the clock struck midnight on January 1st, and I saw, like, five people actually do it, and uh, I was very <laughs> upset. That's what you get for being on Twitter at midnight. Star Wars Andy. seems uh, different to yes, me. Okay, Star can, Wars... That's another conversation. For well, another, but it's it, a, I was gonna... Anyway, let me just cap my right. point by just yeah. saying that, um, uh, yeah, I think that nostalgia, yes, I'm glad we're having this conversation. There's a lot of things to be said for it, but really what I worry about about 2015 more than anything else is the creative bankruptcy that it will show, um, and that's uh, you know. But it, why it, would it, this uh, coming year be worse than any other? I don't really so understand. Franchi- I mean, all these. This has been the climate for a few years, but people for for two or three years now have been looking forward to 2015 as the year that is just so dominated by these Goliath, these these monolithic uh, blockbuster movies, your Star Wars, your Avengers two, um, whatever the fuck else it is, and people are uh, Jurassic World coming back, and and it it, it really feels like um, there's. Like, we were lucky in 2014 to have Edge of Tomorrow and that, like, this year we may not have anything that has that original spark to it. But uh, isn't this the, like, atom bomb fart of Hollywood? Like, we're getting it all out of our system yeah, now. Well, we're finally no, releasing. What? No, no, what? no. Well, that's- I mean, we'll be in slow decline. Like, 2016 has plenty of sequels. But I'm like, with all the, as, as David says, with all the monolithic sequels that are coming this year, I feel like we're at the apex of, of something. Oh, I think that, I, I don't think it's true in that sense. I think the only hope for that happening is the fulfillment of Spielberg's, uh, uh, prophecy that the model will just collapse on itself financially. Um, but I think yeah. as long as it doesn't, they will continue to... I, I just get so much hope out of seeing uh, people talking about the latest documentary on Netflix and how they're discovering VOD and how iTunes rentals work finally. You know, The interview was a big deal, right? Because people were renting movies off YouTube and Google for the first time. Uh, it just seems to have opened a door to new possibilities to finding <laughs> films that are buzzy and small that can live side by side with these theatrical events. I, I, mean, I think maybe, a, the, maybe the theater should be dominated by these movies at this point because... It's just not the only option. I mean, I think those are two separate things, and I wish that studios were treating it like that and like, let's make good blockbusters and get our digital strategy right. But it's not so much as it, they're more making a play for what they see as like a TV audience and being like, TV could do serialization, and it makes it to like the only way through is to have a good installment or like a standout installment. So, like, the best hope is that in like five years we look back and we're like, you know what was a solid movie? Oh, I don't know. Gem and the Holograms 3 really had something to say about sexism. And you're like... uh, Inherent Vice, I feel, is sort of about this, this point in time when we're at the tipping point into just pure, uh, you know, product masquerading as movies and and people sort of going along with it. what Big Eyes is about. Uh, Well, yeah, yeah, Big Eyes is about... We uh, have Christoph, to sell the big, big eyes. Nothing more than Christoph Waltz. <laughs> I will now do the rest of the segment as Christoph Waltz, <laughs> by the way. I, 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 the DC and Marvel movies. Oh, God. We don't have to go off on a tangent about this, but I do think uh, if you do see Inherent Vice after watching this or think back on it in the back of your mind, I think uh, that movie is so poised between the 60s and 70s and what it represents and Bigfoot sort of 
journey parallel to the main plot of that movie and where he ends up. Uh, I do feel like watching that movie on 35 millimeter in this day and age is such a bizarrely anachronistic experience. It's very discombobulated. Okay, what were back, we talking about? Uh, <laughs> you were talking about serialization. Yeah, no, I, I, be, I just, I think that, um, what was it, Katie, you were talking about how, like, story worlds don't, like, really interest you, like, the, 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 well, the story world, well, no, no, sorry, the story world of Jurassic Park didn't really interest you. Sure. So, but, like, if, you know, Chris Pratt has an awesome team of raptor sequence that, and the movie isn't bad, you will probably enjoy Jurassic World, and that's, Absolutely. that's, like, sort of the way we get through, that's how we get... Gareth Edwards doing a good job on Godzilla and all of a sudden people being like, oh, hey, that Monsters guy did a monster that made a whole bunch of money this time. Well, that's why I want to hear from you, Katie, because going back to this, like, back to the future thing that you were talking about, um, that you were anticipating this moment where pop culture and reality collide, something you love, something now that you have been nostalgic for that the internet has ruined, um, and, and that you feel that it's been ruined. Is there anything that excites you about this year about can you still get excited back to the future wise oh i mean not necessarily back to the future wise but like why does it feel why does it feel ruined why can't you still have the joy what what does the internet do to you that (laughs) you can't i mean i'm excited for the next star wars movie i'm excited for mad max because it looks really cool i i don't know i don't feel the internet wrapping its tentacles around me and squeezing me till I pop. Uh, no matter how many teasers of teasers, Ant-Man... Uh, yeah, I just turned my life into tentacle porn, sorry. Um, <laughs> Ant-Man will not destroy me. You know, the teasers no. of teasers will not destroy me. No, I'm not complaining about teasers of teasers. And like the entire franchise culture, we've been talking about it for years. It's been around the entire time we've had this podcast. I, I can deal with that. And, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, something that looks dumb, turns out to be pretty fun. That's fine. It's just the idea that, like, Nostalgia for something that you loved in your childhood is ha- had been a really personal thing for a long time. And this is, you know, me speaking as someone who's a kid pre-internet. Like, it's something that you love and then you find someone else who loves it. And then, you know, that's how the internet was born or like how kind of our corners of the internet were born. is people coming together and being like, I love Hobbit movies too. Or I love Star Wars too. And all these things emerge. And the studios, you know, cottoned onto that. And now all of a sudden that's what all the movies are. And it's all kind of taking this genuine love of something that you had and using it to just sell you the same thing over and over again because they don't trust you to love anything else. It's just kind of, it's like it's the cynicism of it, and it's <laughs> the idea that the thing that you love is not the thing that you love anymore. It's now part of this ongoing you know universe property. Like it kind of what depresses me about what, what depresses me about Harry Potter and the um, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find the Movies. I'm not super interested in those. Is that what and... they're going to retitle them? Wait, what, what are they called now? And the Fantastic, and the Fantastic <laughs> He's not even going to be in them. Nope. These are, this is the whole new franchise. It's um, going to be a Divergent series. The Harry Potter series. Insurgent, resurgent, detergent. Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all kind of being, it's not just this thing that you love anymore. It's this whole world. It's this whole, you know, marketing gimmick. And I don't know that kids who are the people a lot of this is aimed at even realize that, but I find it a little wearing or wearying. That, um, yeah, we really need a seven-year-old's perspective on this. We're out of touch. You know what? So uh, my cousin has a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, and they are crazy about Big Hero 6, which had no nostalgic attachment to their parents or anything else, and they went crazy for it. So Yeah, because it reminded them it was a carbon copy of every Marvel movie they had ever seen. They're not, they've never seen a Marvel movie. This is just the thing that they this were This is their given. primer. Yeah. I mean, and but it Wait, was hey, man, for them. Just take a toke. Yeah, this was getting them ready for the. It was for not the their, Marvel. It was for a not Shane Carruth movie. Primer. 
What would you? What would you? What would you show your seven-year-old, David? Uh, Primer. I would I show my seven-year-old. Uh, wow, that's a really troubling question. Um, I I would probably. I really, I'm not even, I'm so unprepared to answer that, Dave. I can't even tell you. Well, it's weird because, like, all the things that I would think about, like, at first I'm like, Muppets are always good. And I'm like, no, wait, they're also a Disney franchise now. So I'm just tying them into, like, that that for the rest of his life. And then, like, all the cartoons that I watch, I, I, I realized that. I would show my seven-year-old whatever the hell they wanted. <laughs> but it's cares. like. Wow. They, You're, that's an out-of-your-mind perspective. If they if they love Big Hero 6 and, and it's going to keep them from screaming and like ruining my life, I'll show them Big Hero 6 76 <laughs> times. I don't care. And you will. Right. They, but it's... They're seven. To, to, to Katie's I, point, we're already like a generation deep in this cycle where the things that are coming back are things that were created to be profitable in the first place. So they're never going to go away. They're like the super antibiotic resistant uh, like virus that has and been built thing, to be and nothing. And that's the thing that, that I was thinking about in the beginning, the idea of nothing ever going away. The idea that you can't be like, oh man, remember Home Alone? Because Home Alone is now always there. And it's not a good or bad thing that that feeling won't really exist for a lot of things, but it's weird. It's a weird way to process culture. And the internet has gotten us used to everything being around all the time. And now that's going to apply to things from your youth that maybe don't need to be around all the time. And you know, maybe all these movies flop and then we go back to something else yeah and then there's always those those weird ones like green hornet there it's like why are you doing this okay (laughs) yeah or the uh the total recall remake which existed and then went away and no one will ever ever remember it happened yeah i'd rather roll the dice on those than not because like i was saying before that's where we're gonna get our stealth blockbuster masterpiece one of these days they were gonna get like an attack the block but made by a studio system where it's like there's no way this this is going to be good and i was then hoping we were getting a new stealth oh <laughs> no that won't happen uh, well, oh yeah oh. No, I, I was just gonna, i was going to kind of uh, wrap up because what i was interested about this conversation when we were talking offline was uh was about 2014 and if you think that uh the movie world or that pop culture has learned anything from 2014 that could impact 2015 and how we, we survive this nostalgia <laughs> onslaught. I, they've learned not to make movies about the Bible. That's <laughs> true. Anymore. Or hey, North no, Korea. No one made a surprising amount of money. Yeah, no one um, did. Okay. No, they've they learned, learned if, that. Oh, go ahead. I mean, people didn't go to the movies in 2014. So if anything, they learned more of a sure thing. Give them more of what they want. 2015 is going to be better because it's got Avengers and Star Wars and all this other stuff. So I think they, if anything, they learned bad lessons probably. Of I course, will say that, like, still, uh, yeah, even though you split learn. the you split Mockingjay up into two parts, I like the trend that we haven't forced other young adult writers through greed to J.K. Rowling themselves back into movies. Because if I have to deal with like another Stephanie Meyer series, I'm going to kill somebody. Yeah, oh, you but will. you'll probably well, get another Suzanne Collins series. That you're not going to really. Have, I mean, like after the host and the Diversion series is. Obviously, a little bit of an embarrassment after that first installment, um, and they just are soldiering on. Uh, I don't know if uh, I think the YA thing might be winding down. Well, uh, definitely non dystopian YAs are sort of out, but yeah, Maze Runner, Wait, bro. Oh, our stars. I, I think, think non dystopian YAs are in. I think that's the where the action is. Yeah, the Fault in Our Stars. Exactly. Fault in Our Stars yeah. is the one is the one and that we got. The biggest movie of 2014 was If I Stay. <laughs> no, but the, the biggest one in your heart. Right. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I, I measuring thought, by ventricles, then yeah. I, I thought <laughs> Fault in Our Stars was, uh, I don't know, 
sort of a, a, a high a, a misno uh, uh, outlier yeah, in yeah. terms of <laughs> adapting non uh, dystopian YA novels because haven't. Where am I getting this from? I don't remember. Maybe from nothing. I retract. I mean, my they're developing a lot of other John Green books, so at least for a little while, they're going to try and make it a thing. And oh, perks like perks of being a wallflower, being a wallflower did nothing. No, no it did well. well. That's it. Did well. well. Yeah. Oh, Hang see, on. I just have not been paying. You got to open that your mind, Dave. You're yeah, too you're deep in the, the, in the Marvel world. Whatever. There are more people there. <laughs> perks of being a wallflower. Ouch. Made well, it made 17 million theaters, but 33 million worldwide. And you know, it was made for nothing. So it was made yeah. for literally nothing. <laughs> well, either way, I'm not exactly sure how to help Katie. <laughs> I don't think it's. I, I don't know. You know what? Maybe I will love Avengers: Age of Ultron and Star Wars and Jurassic World and everything else. And then maybe one of the blockbusters coming up this summer will be an Edge of Tomorrow. But I think that it will be really fun. The thing is that nostalgia might be. Uh, might be unnecessary now because sort of to go back to what Devin was saying um, the, about the nostalgia for, for the immediate present because we're not for the immediate past rather than the distant past because we're not really missing these things. You don't have to have nostalgia uh, for the Avengers to, you know, to be one of those people who's excited for the Avengers too and loads no, of characters. I mean, like true. these are all, these things are so ubiquitous in our culture now uh, and Marvel and the the hive that builds around their their brand, um, you don't ha- you don't have any time to forget these things. Or I mean, uh, even you don't even need time. Star Wars. But I am nostalgic for Maze Runner, and will be. Uh, it's really I, bringing back my childhood for Scorch Trials. I just realized how nostalgic I am for Magic Mike, and how Magic Mike XXL is going to really bring me back to a time in my life. Channing is all about yes. Channing. Yes. Here's here's the real end note of this conversation. Uh, back to the Future. Three is better than Back to the Future Two. Oh my God, no! I no, mm, no. I know I'm in the minority. Don't give him to me on that. I like Back to the Future Three, but I'm not going to go with you on that. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just there's no way that the like the second one isn't cooler for going back to the first movie and messing with it. That's the problem. It's so boring. No, are you kidding? Watching him crawl on the light rig over the stage while he's also playing guitar? I'm much more interested in seeing them just dress up in different costumes. and Okay. ZZ Top playing in a band. Back to to the Future Part 2 has done more to help me talk about, like, the way time travel is treated in fiction than any other movie. See, ever. that's the problem. I don't want you to have more fuel for that conversation. I want <laughs> you to have to just the, the easy rules. You go back in time to the old west and have a fun time. That's time travel logic for you. Wow. No, oh, but see, even if you followed those rules, they would have died in the gulch because the, the, they wouldn't have updated the train. Are we doing a specific song? I'm doing the ZZ Top song. That would yeah. You know that song? Oh yeah. Let's listen to that right now. I like that you just started singing along without doing a specific song. That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Friday with a review of a couple of things that are out there and new in the world. In the meantime, tell people who you are. 
I am Matt Patches, and I'm all over the internet writing and putting everything on my personal website, mattpatches.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And if you want to leave us feedback, leave your thoughts, ask questions, go to our website, fightinginthewarroom.com. We post all the episodes there, each on the page, and uh, plenty of comments. Space. I'm David Ehrlich. I am the uh, associate film editor for Time Out New York and the editor of Large Blue White Lives magazine. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich in the Criterion Corner. And you can find all of us together loving each other as per our comment <laughs> earlier on Facebook, Fighting in the War. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell my first name DA7E. That is also my Twitter handle. I write about superhero movie news and Star Wars at latino-review.com and mega franchising at Forbes. Com. And I uh, also do a podcast about comic books and comic-adjacent cultures. So uh, if you felt like I was really restraining myself on this episode, uh, you could subscribe on this feed, and that comes out every Wednesday. We talk about the Ant-Man trailer and explain to the people what it looks like. It's and very it tiny. tiny. It's very tiny for now. Okay. Entertainment Weekly quoted me for tweeting the, the Center for Ants joke from Zoolander with that trailer link. Really? And I was like, I just made the easiest joke first, guys. I wouldn't have been offended if you made it. Pride. That's right. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at vanityfair.com or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Twitter is also the place where you can find our entire podcast at F-I-T-W-R. It's a great place to answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Taken 3, what is the best movie about an American overseas? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. Thank you.